0: You're listening to the Cats Roundtable.
1: Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Cats he is here Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. A famous reporter from the New York Times, Sam Roberts, wrote a book about New York characters, And we have a lot of characters in New York. Dick Morris on what's going on, you know, and he's interesting. Uh, David Patterson and uh, Congressman King on their opinions on what's going on in New York State. And uh, Nicole Majutakis, she's one fiery lady and she won big in in New York. And let's start off uh, with Zach Williams. He's the New York Post reporter in Albany. And uh, he has his opinions what's going on in New York State. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, Zach, what the heck is going on in Albany? So it's
2: a kind of a low season here in Albany, but things are going to get busy super fast after the holidays because the governor will unveil a new state budget in January. and Now is the time when people are really trying to read the political tea leaves to kind of see what direction she might go after this really big election win that she had just a couple weeks ago over Republican Lee Zeldin, who certainly gave her a run for her money um, by coming within six points of beating her.
1: Don't forget the real estate industry is uh, not very healthy right now because 421A, which is the incentives for uh, real estate people to spend money in New York city uh, is not on uh, uh, the uh, current budget. And uh, the fact is interest rates uh, the construction loads are seven, eight, nine percent. Uh, so nobody's rushing to build anything new. Uh, what, what? Any feelings on that end of the business?
2: 421A is one of the big um, unresolved issues from the past legislative session. When the governor proposed a new housing subsidy program to replace it, 485, I believe it was called. And basically, long story short, the progressive lawmakers in Albany did not like it. They kept it from passing. And now the governor's hinting that she's going to make a fresh push on affordable housing, presumably with a new proposed housing subsidy being at the center of it. She hasn't given exact details, but we can only assume that it's going to be kind of similar to what she proposed before. The big question, though, is do... Albany lawmakers have any more appetite to indulge on this issue than they did last time. And I'm not really convinced that much has changed, especially given the, the election results at the, in the state legislature, where Democrats held on to their supermajorities in the state Senate and Assembly, even though that this uh, issue didn't get resolved last year. So that's a big that's a big question. Another big question is what the governor might do on bail reform. Certainly, Zeldin campaigned really hard during the campaign on the issue, you know, highlighting all these, um, you know, crimes that purportedly, you know, showed certain loopholes in the current laws approved by Albany Democrats in recent years. And then thirdly, you know, another issue that always comes up in budget season is simply taxes. You know, the the a recession seems likely It depends on how you define it, but. Certainly, the state will not be as flush in the upcoming year as it was last year when there was billions of dollars in federal stimulus funding that really kind of greased the wheels of the state budget process in a way that really prevented any sort of like showdown over taxes from happening between the governor and state lawmakers in an election year. That could change this upcoming year, but we really got to see for now. Hochul has laid pretty low after the election, um, certainly signing bills that have that has to be done by the end of the year, um, while also in recent days um, highlighting some uh, some efforts uh, against anti-Semitism. So uh, that's kind of where things stand right now. But we'll just have to see what happens in the coming weeks that might hint which way the governor might uh, move on some of these issues.
1: The the items that are are. Uh holding up real estate people from investing further is the, uh, tax incentives to, uh, to spend a hundred million, a billion dollars to, to build. Uh, in addition, uh, crime, like we said, crime is a big item. Uh, like I, I've talked to a lot of other, uh, uh people and uh, nobody cares about putting anybody in jail, uh, for stealing a loaf of bread. But, but repeat violent criminals, like I, I'll repeat again, repeat violent criminals, they have no place in the civilized world. What say you? <laughs> well, the governor has
2: really been trying to thread a couple needles um, on the issue of crime. You know, on the one hand... Um, it seems that she's pretty willing to revisit some of the reforms, but certainly not uh, in a wholehearted way as Republicans and moderate Democrats are pushing for. And then on the other hand, she's also indulged progressives in the legislature on a number of reforms. Um, less is more, which had to do as uh, one law that she, she signed, which basically eliminates a lot of the technical violations that could send parolees back into jail or, or prison. So, you know, the governor has said for months during the campaign, every single time Zeldin would attack her, she would go back to saying the current bail laws were last amended in uh, in the state budget. Those, effect- those changes took effect in May. Let's give them some time. Well, by early next year, it's going to be six months. She has said that that would be enough time to really evaluate it one way or another, um, you know, whether these changes were effective. And we're just going to have to see how serious she really is once the time comes next year for now though,
1: and in new york state is the only place where they took all the power away from judges and the judge, out of 50 states 49 the judges have power in 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 new york state the judges have very little power in crime well that
2: is priority number one for the anti-bail reform folks you know republicans and some moderate Democrats are really pushing for the so-called dangerousness standard to be allowed under New York state law. That would basically give judges a lot of leeway to jail people pre-trial if they believe they present some level of threat to public safety. Right now, the, the current law mandates that they really just consider the likelihood that someone will return to court. Now, that has sometimes led to situations where where, where uh, judges said that they were, you know, um, metaphorically at least, handcuffed from keeping people behind bars despite, um, you know, the likely danger that they might hurt someone once they're released. Now, the governor at times has pointed to some cases where the judges had discretion or a district attorney undercharged people and people – We're not jailed. You know, a lot of this comes down to the specifics of the cases. But the bottom line is that people that want to change are really focusing on judicial discretion um, as the way to improve things moving forward.
1: I mean, people are moving to Florida like no tomorrow. And I hate for the people in New York City to be, you know, the, the population might not go down, but we might be replacing people that are paying a lot of taxes with people that we're, we're, we're supporting them, like the, some of the immigrants. What happens in New York City, eventually, eventually you run out of other people's money. <laughs> well, that,
2: you bring up a really interesting um, question that comes out of the election, which is, you know, you might have heard people taking an eye at DeSantis' big win in Florida and comparing it to Zeldin's, you know, close but not good enough campaign against Tocqueville. And have, you know, people have just asked, you know, how many of the voters that that would have voted for Lee Zeldin ended up as Florida voters voting for DeSantis? You know, we do know that quite a few people have moved from New York to Florida in recent years, whether it's because they're getting older and they just want some sunshine or they don't like Democratic policies in New York, whatever the reason. We know that there has been that migration. And and you just got to ask, you know, what happened? when nothing uh, changes and a lot of people might move to Florida well you get kind of this feedback loop where uh, there's more Republican voters uh, maybe in Florida and fewer of them in New York and that only you know means that the Democrats continue winning elections so you know I'm just kind of throwing that out there it is a interesting phenomenon and I think you know the grand scale there is a lot of truth to that as um, what's actually happening here
1: we got a minute left. Anything else you want to tell New Yorkers? I mean, I'll give you an ex- another example of a tax law. You know, I'm getting old. At the age of 75, uh, inheritance taxes, you pay full boat in New York State. And in, New- and in Florida, you pay zero on, on state inheritance taxes. There's
2: a big choice that Hochul has to make in December, and that is chief judge of the state's highest court, the Court of Appeals. Now, a lot of these these issues we're talking about, whether it's taxes, criminal justice reform, and anything in between redistricting, as we saw in this past year, it ultimately comes down, once people start fighting about it, to how the Court of Appeals might rule on one matter or another. And right now, there's what has been described as a conservative majority, even here in New York State, a conservative majority on that court. But now now that um, a new chief judge might be coming in, Hochul has a chance to either empower that uh you know relative conservatives or appoint someone who really might uh, make a progressive stamp on it it all depends on who she might pick among the seven candidates uh named by a a state commission so i think your uh, listeners might want to pay attention to that as well as well as all these other uh, important issues we talked about
1: well zach williams thank you for bringing all new yorkers up to date and we'll catch up with you again real soon thank you so much
2: thank you you have a
0: Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis.
1: With us today is Sam Roberts, a New York Times reporter. And Sam Roberts is also on New York One on New York Times Up Close. And he's got a new book. And the book's name is Five New Yorkers. Uh, In your book, 31 Remarkable People, 400 Years, and the Untold Biography of the World's Greatest City. Uh, Sam Roberts, tell us about it. Well, John, I had
3: uh, written a couple of other books, uh, History of New York at 101 Objects in 27 Buildings, and I wanted to do a book about New York through people. And this book, uh, The New Yorkers, is really about a history of the city. It's a biography of the city told through 31 people you never heard of. And their stories, uh, quirky people, stories about people you never heard of in history books and guidebooks, but people who nonetheless were transformative or emblematic of something transformative in the city's history.
1: And and, and are you allowed to tell us at least one person in the book? uh,
3: Sure, I'll tell you uh... very,
1: very quickly. Audrey Munson,
3: who's the first. American actress to appear nude in motion pictures. If you look on the very top of the municipal building, there is Audrey Munson's face in the Statue of Civic Fame. Uh, John Jay, we've heard of him, but he's in the book for something you never heard of. Uh, Congress wanted him to be secretary of state in 1785. He said, OK, I'll be secretary of state if you move the capital of the United States from Trenton to New York City. And by moving the capital to New York City, he saved New York City after seven years of brutal British occupation during the Revolutionary War. Jack Maple, the guy who, uh, in the middle of, of the crime waves of the 1980s, 1990s, saved the city by coming up with that ComStat program, something I'm sure you're familiar with. And John Coleman, who was the first recorded murder of a European in New York in 1609, so people like that—people who could have
1: made a difference in their own way in the city's history—that sounds like a remarkable book. I look forward to uh, buying it and reading it. Uh, and it's called "Let's Say Five New Yorkers <laughs> in Your Book: Thirty-One Remarkable People Over the Four Hundred Years." Uh, the Untold Biography of the World's Greatest City. I guess we could buy that on Amazon, and the author is... Yeah. Uh, pardon? You could buy
3: it on Amazon. You could buy it at your local bookstore. The book is called The New Yorkers,
1: the Biography of the City. Well, I look forward to The New Yorkers and on Amazon and your local bookstore. Uh, I'm sure Barnes & Noble, too, and uh, I, I look forward to reading it. I hope you enjoy it, John. I think it's your kind of book, just quirky and interesting and makes history fun. Well, Sam Roberts, thank you for everything you've done for New York, and you should be on the front page because you've done a lot for New York just to, to bring everybody up to date and, and uh, thank you so much. John, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. God bless, and uh, we'll have a, a great rest of the weekend. Okay, take care, and happy holidays. With us today is Steve Cates, uh, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, to give us an update. If we're looking up in the sky this Thanksgiving weekend, what do we see and what are we going to see and what's going on in the uh, universe? Uh, Steve Cates, tell us, uh, give us an update of what's going on.
4: Well, good morning, John. And, uh, yes, yeah, so many things this morning. Let's talk first about the Orion mission that successfully moved into a high lunar orbit. This is an amazing uh, particular mission. People hopefully have watched some of the close encounters that Orion's had with the moon some 80 miles above the surface. But, John, this particular spacecraft, the Artemis rocket, as it got out into the Earth's orbit, its second stage lost 10 of these little CubeSat satellites, these are little experimental satellites that have all kinds of things that they're doing for scientific research. Well, some of them worked and some failed, but here was an exciting one, but sadly we know it failed. Japan's well, Motonashi, little tiny spacecraft, weighed 32 pounds. It was supposed to be the first lunar lander, the smallest little little satellite ever to land on the moon. It would do so by, you know, having solar power as it went around the moon, and used a little airbag when it dropped onto the surface. But sadly, that particular spacecraft has gone missing. That's very sad. But John, wow. we always talk on your show about so many of these mysteries too. So this is interesting. So I wanted to bring up today, if you don't mind, this is interesting. Here's the big question. What is the fate of the universe over time? And astronomers, John, think that there's many different theories on this. But let's start the beginning. We think the universe was created, this expansion, 13.77 billion years ago. And now, John, it's thought to be 93 billion light years wide. But here's quickly just a couple of things of what might happen to the universe, thus the mystery. One is called the Big Freeze. And that's when no thermodynamic energy is out there in the universe. In a simpler way, it means the universe will freeze itself. Then there's another one called the big rip, that the universe will tear itself apart by nonstop acceleration. And then you get the thing called the big crunch, where the universe will stop expanding, slow down, and collapse onto itself, maybe creating another cycle of another big bang or expansion. How about that? Isn't that kind of amazing? Well,
1: the only thing I would say, is it's 13.5 billion light years old. Give or take a billion, it's not going to affect us in any way.
4: Absolutely, not in our lifetimes, John. And that's why the great cosmologists, they want to study these mysteries, but obviously it's something that they think about in their think tanks and bring to our attention, which is quite fascinating. You know, John, I was understood that there a lot of activity that we hear on the planet Mars and people over the weekend if you simply look to the northeast sky, Mars, as we mentioned last week, is getting closest to the Earth for this entire year. It'll be about 50 million miles away from us. But it's interesting to look at that. And many of my friends, including myself, who have telescopes and people listening, you can actually see the polar cap, the north polar cap on, on Mars, with a thing called the north polar cap hood, which is a lot of snow and ice that makes the north polar cap even more exciting. But you were bringing up something about Mars, too, that I think the listeners need to hear about.
1: Well, Dr. Michalos, we had him on a few weeks ago, and he says, there's no way we can go to Mars. No human being will survive it because of the radiation. And that NASA has not told us that yet, and that NASA has not come up with a solution
4: yet. What say you? Dr. Michalos is absolutely right on this. The, problemat- the problematic thing with deep space missions, and especially going to the planet Mars, we have to find a way to find out how to shield human life from the ill effects of radiation in space. And one of the experiments that's actually going on on this particular Orion spacecraft is that one or two of the little dummies that are strapped onto the table there inside their so-called seats, they're trying to do some radiation experiments to see what the long-term effects of radiation are in space. But Dr. Mikolos is correct that if you're on the surface of Mars and you do not have the proper shielding, That would be like wearing some incredible radiation suit body armor. We need to solve this problem, and I think he's absolutely correct in finality that that's something that maybe we really should be told the truth about, about long space missions, long-duration missions, and being on the surface of Mars. Because even if Mars, John, is out there farther than the Earth, Mars's distance from the uh, sun is around 144 million miles, it's not about the solar radiation that we're talking about, We're talking about cosmic radiation, and Mars doesn't have an atmosphere, as we know, that can shield it. That's why our planet's Earth is so, you know, planetary Earth is so important. And, John, I use this example all the time. If you took an apple and you wondered how thick the atmosphere is that's so precious to us called the troposphere, it would be as thin, John, as the skin on that apple. So, yes, we're protected, obviously, for the most part. But Mars and those duration, long-duration missions, that's a whole other story.
1: Uh, understood, and I know we have to solve that problem. Otherwise, we have a problem that we uh, on the space missions, and I guess it's not as easy as Star Trek going out there. They they must have <laughs> they they must have solved the problems. Doctor Sky, thank you so much for uh, giving us an update, and you're
4: on our WABC website now. Absolutely, John. The Doctor Sky Experience. You go to the WABCradio.com dot com website. Great information from the realms of astronomy, space, aviation, and weather and other interviews about American exceptionalism, our great legacy here as Americans, and what we need to do to stay free. But people can learn so much more. And by the way, John, up there, you'll get a weekly update in detail of things you can see in the sky. And we're privileged and honored to be here with you on WABC out of New York.
1: Thank you so much. And we'll catch up again real soon. And enjoy the rest of the weekend.
4: Thank you.
0: You're listening to a show that's just focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable.
1: Happy Holidays! With us today is uh, uh, former Congressman Peter King, and it's Sunday after Thanksgiving, and we only have uh, about four four or five weeks to the new year. And uh, Congressman King, how was your Thanksgiving? Did you have white meat or dark meat?
5: John, uh, Thanksgiving dinner was great. Uh, I had white meat. Uh, I don't discriminate, but I just like the white meat better. And uh, it was... uh, all in all, it was a great day. Uh, my son was with us. And, uh, also he had a, uh, young people from Sweden. He had lived with their family years ago and he was a, an exchange student and, uh, they were in their early twenties and they come out and, uh, they had an American Thanksgiving with us. And it was interesting to see Europeans' perspective. Uh, they're from Sweden. Sweden is joining NATO. Uh, they're very supportive of the United States. And, uh, I think, you know, the world is is, is changing for the good. Now, some things you you and I aren't crazy about, such as the crime situation in New York and the fact that uh, people aren't coming back to work the way they should. But overall, you know, we're still the greatest country in the world, and we should always keep that in mind. Thanksgiving is a good time to remember that.
1: I spoke to the Governor Patterson, uh, and uh, uh, he uh, he wants to have a joint pre- press conference, maybe with uh, uh, Eric Adams, because he wants everybody wants present tranquility in New York City, and the bail law, which originally might was meant to be good uh, against uh, people spending thirty days in jail for a loaf of bread, ended up being very bad because they uh, give us your interpretation.
5: Yeah, because I think the whole bail reform law, uh, as you said, I'm sure it was well intended. Having some abuses, but uh, what this did was it basically it allows violent people to be out in the street. I mean, if nothing else, one very basic change that should be made is judges should be allowed to uh, to hold someone uh, and uh, set bail on them if the judge believes that they are dangerous. I mean, every other. As far as I know, know, uh, the other 49 states all allow a judge to hold someone for what they call dangerousness. They don't allow that here now in New York. And you hear case after case of violent criminals being turned loose. The judge has no choice. They're out on the street, and they commit another violent crime. So, no, this has to stop. Uh, And uh, I think Governor Patterson is right if we can do that, if they can have a news conference to show that people, whether you're Democrat or Republican, whether you're white or black, young or old, uh, you want to stand with the mayor if he's going to go out and fight crime. I know that the mayor has said a lot of good things. He has an excellent police commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell. He has made some good steps, but the fact is the bad guys are still ahead of us. And we have to, uh, if we can mobilize and show this is not a partisan issue, this is not a political issue. It's an issue to save lives here in New York, which is important uh, you know, for peace and tranquility. It's also important to bring the economy back. It's going to be hard to get people... To you know, bring their businesses to New York if they feel the crime is out of control.
1: What else do you see for uh, New York and uh, our country going forward? You're gonna. Would you believe the new year is in about four, four and a half weeks?
5: Yeah, and you know this has been a rough year. Uh, yeah, this last one. Hopefully, going forward, we will finally break loose entirely from COVID or the fear of COVID, the paranoia that set in. And listen, a lot of what had to be done at the beginning, as far as masks and. Uh, lockdowns. So I can understand why that was done early on, but it really is time to put all that behind us now and go forward. But Also, I think that, as we said before, if we can get crime in control, the mayor, the governor, the city council, the district attorneys, that will mean so much. And then also to you know, get education. Education has taken a real hit because of COVID and because of crime. And it's, uh, if we don't start educating our kids better, and if that involves having charter schools, parochial schools, whatever it takes, We have to do what we can to really improve education and make it available. And, you know, the the people with money and upper middle income people are always going to be able to get an education for their kids. The ones who suffer the most from this are the people living in the low income areas, people who uh, have crime in their neighborhoods. So the ones who suffer the most are the ones who somehow these politicians think that they're protecting them by tying the hands of the cops or putting uh, all these uh, barriers up when it comes to schools. So, no, I I would say that's where we have to look for jobs, education. But I'm so hopeful. The spirit of New York is there. Uh, we just have to uh, revitalize it, channel it better. And uh, you know, there's so much, so much good about a city like New York. a whole, not just the city of New York. You know, the suburbs, the surrounding area, people want are New Yorkers. Uh, if we can just get ourselves organized and. Uh, stay on track I think we can do great and hopefully nationally the economy is going to come back to having Republicans in the house at least it'll break up this uh, uh, one-party government in Washington that may force both parties on a compromise more to get to find common ground so we can move forward
1: and one of the biggest things that uh, Republicans are, are looking at right now is you know they're fighting uh, uh, elections normal course of business. And the rep- Democrats are really good at fighting in the streets. If Democrats say, "If you need you need ID to uh, to vote," that's prejudice. I don't think it's prejudice. I think it's uh, it's prejudice if they're saying that uh, their people do, do, uh, are not smart enough to have ID. What say you?
5: Yeah, John. You have to have ID to buy cigarettes, to buy beer. You have to have ID to drive a car. I mean, so many places you have to have ID. And somehow, you know, the most sacred right we have is the right to vote, and yet you don't need ID for that. I I was talking to someone today who actually hadn't voted in a while, but he did go in to vote, and he said nobody asked him for any ID at all. He could have been been himself, he could have been his two brothers, he could have been anyone. And uh, it makes no sense. And, you know, what it really adds up to, we don't know, but if there's not full faith, what you need is 100% faith in the system. If people don't have faith in the system, then it really, that's thats what causes people to stay home, say, you know, you know does it doesn't matter. Why should I get out and work for a candidate? If, you know, if it doesn't matter who votes anyway. So, no, I think voter ID is just basic common sense. So uh, have to be more efficient as far as getting people to vote early if there is going to be early voting. But then to have more uh, requirements to make sure that the person voting is actually duly registered to vote. is isn't just the neighbor or maybe somebody who died a year ago. I mean, it's just... Uh, uh, it, it's, it, it's too much potential after abuse.
1: The American people have to feel confident. Otherwise, we're going to lose faith in the voting system.
5: And, and that's, that's you know, the, to me, the real issue here is not even so much uh, whether or not votes are being stolen. I'm sure they are in some cases. But the thing is, the American people should have confidence that their vote does count. If you lose confidence, they're going to get more and more people staying home, and you're going to have less and less effective elections and you're going to get more incompetent people elected to office.
1: I agree 100%. Uh, Congressman King, uh, thank you uh, so much, and uh, uh, keep fighting for our country. Uh, You fought for our country as a congressman for 28 years. Keep fighting for our country because our country needs us. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you.
5: Thank you, John. You too. Thank you very much.
1: Well, it's a Sunday after Thanksgiving, and uh, where is our country going? Where is our state going? Where is our city going? With us today is former Governor David Patterson. And uh, tell us, uh, da- David Patterson, uh, on Turkey Day, did you have dark meat or white meat?
0: I had the dark meat, John. Just as I told you and Dominic Carter, I would eat that dark meat. Although, well, I enjoyed it. Yes. The, the host at the uh, Thanksgiving dinner that we attended up in Lake George also had lamb cups. I didn't know they were affiliated with uh, Thanksgiving, but I ate them and they were very good.
1: I enjoy lamb chops and I enjoy uh uh my turkey leg so uh you know it was it was a it was a good thanksgiving and the, there was no terrorism in new york and there was no, and, and the the weather was great, and the parade went off great so God bless New York look New York wants to come back David Patterson, uh and uh, Eric Adams said he wants New York to make a comeback, and you're the former governor. People listen to you because you have common sense. Where the heck are we? Well, I think
0: that Eric Adams has been spot on identifying some of the problems that are going on in the city. And, you know, some of the problems that we probably rather not talk about sometimes. But that there is a spike in crime and also there's a spike in the anxiety of people fearing crime. Because crime was affiliated with certain neighborhoods thirty, forty, fifty years ago, now you're hearing and seeing crimes all around the city. There was a man killed at a restaurant last year, in at 62nd Street and Park Avenue. So, what I'm hoping, as we kind of um, convalesce and then inevitably uh, recover from this election that we just had, is that a lot of a lot of other people who I think feel this way and haven't said anything, will um, start to express themselves and be supportive of Mayor Adams, who is very much a progressive on a lot of issues. But, you know, um, you know, cotton is cotton, silk is silk, and crime is crime.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you 100 percent. Is anybody in Albany listening to Eric Adams at all? I mean, what, give us the pulse, what you think the pulse is, and, and what, what what's the next step Eric Adams should do?
0: Well, I think uh, the next step for the mayor is to try to go back to Albany and meet with the leaders. There was some, and I don't know what the authenticity is of what I'm about to say, but there was some disappointment that the leaders had uh, to the mayor's office because originally I, I am told that he sent one of his assistants up to talk to, to, to them and you know there's a lot of um, I mean uh, there's, they are elected officials they are leaders they do deserve the respect that a meeting would be leader to leader not leader to staff member now that's what I've been told I don't know whether it's true or not But right now, the citizens of the state of New York and the city of New York don't have time for these, you know, um, uh, you know, format formatted conversations. They really need for the leaders to get together and find solutions.
1: But it can't be with the violent criminals that are making the eight and a half million people of New York City feel like they're, they're scared to go out to dinner or they're scared to walk to the supermarket after dark.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to say that you're never too old to learn a lesson, and I'm too old, but I did learn a lesson in the last week. I decided to go read about Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is frowned upon by some who recognize what was done to the Indians and Native Americans who lived here before we got here. But what my research uh, determined was that the pilgrims had nothing to do With the mistreatment of the Indians during that particular time in history. They really did live in a coexistence. They had these dinners together that they called Thanksgiving. And on one occasion, a pilgrim uh, was accused of murdering one of the Indians. And the uh, pilgrims decided to have a trial, and the Indians didn't even want to come to the trial because they think that his innocence would be rubber stamped. Well, the Person, the perpetrator was found guilty, and in 1854, the perpetrator was hanged. So they realized the original settlers that came to this country did not mistreat the Indians. What happened, and maybe this resonates with us today, is that the immigrants that followed them, who were coming for a lot of other reasons than just to live in this new land of freedom and opportunity, they were the ones who started this massacre years later but when we celebrate thanksgiving we are really celebrating the coalition of two cultures and their respect and admiration for each other and as we go into the christmas holidays i think we can be happy that we spent this holiday celebrating the diversity and the inclusion that occurred at that original thanksgiving dinner way back in the 17th century
1: well uh, david patterson the governor If we could put something together uh, for Christmas, uh, WABC will do something to to show that and try to bring people closer together and uh, you have my pledge that uh, uh, me and you should work on that. Let's do it. I look forward to it. Well, David Patterson, I'm glad you had a great Thanksgiving and um, look forward to a great Christmas and Whatever else we're going to celebrate in between.
0: You bet. Thanks for having me. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org. Looking for a little common sense? You've found it. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. And
1: now calling in, and she has a, a few other revelations. with uh, Congresswoman Nicole Magidakis that won by so many points. How are you, Nicole? Great to be with you. How are you today? Good. I, I saw nice you experience. on Fox before. You look terrific, I said to Matt wanting Get her on our show. <laughs> uh,
4: Nicole always
6: <laughs> it's looks terrific. Me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, tell us. Uh, you, you first. I, th- I saw you were concerned about the rail strike. Tell us what's going to happen.
6: So, John, uh, December 9th is an important date because uh, the railroads and their unions—and there's 12 unions—they've been negotiating uh, contract terms. Uh, and as you know, they almost had a strike back in September. Uh, thankfully, uh, it was averted. There was a preliminary um, agreement that was made. However, four of those unions have uh, opposed. They voted down, they struck down, you could say, uh, the contra- the uh, um, agreement. And so uh, without the agreement of all 12 unions, uh, we could be headed for another strike come December 9th. And so I've been sounding the alarm, hoping to get the attention of uh, the White House and also my colleagues in Congress, because this is something that... Will be devastating to our economy. A strike of this magnitude, uh, when you think about everything that is transported by rail in this country, everything from the chemicals that treat our water systems uh, to energy supply to food to consumer goods, particularly during this holiday season, you're talking about maybe a $2 billion loss a day to the U.S. economy. And so we need to ensure that an agreement is made. And if agreement is not made by December 9th, Congress needs to be ready to step in. Um, to 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 pass legislation uh, basically pass the terms uh and and avert this type of uh, strike that could be devastating
1: what did uh, president biden do today it was a surprise to everybody they opened up uh, some uh, uh uh authorized some facility down in texas what was it you remember
6: yeah so i think th- I, I i did read briefly about this and uh I, I'm assuming it will help somewhat, uh, but what we really need is the president to lift a lot of those executive orders he put in in day one. Here's the, the headline: policy.
1: A President Biden administration quietly greenlights the plan to build a huge Gulf oil terminal. All of a sudden, and they oh, also president. greenlighted the EPA. Also greenlighted the Saint Croix refinery which is 800,000 barrels, they also green-lighted uh, to, uh, to buy from Venezuela. I mean, why is why is it the the United States of America, the enemy of the, of the Washington, meanwhile it's okay to, to, to do business in Venezuela and St. Croix or whatever?
6: Yeah, John, you're, you're absolutely right. Well, first of all, when you talk about that terminal of Texas, you've you got to wonder whether this is for exporting as opposed it to is import. for exporting. Exactly. And number two, it, it, and these are resources, quite frankly, that we need here in the United States right now, and our priority should be building that Keystone Pipeline to get it from point A to point B. Oh, um, Amen. You're absolutely
1: right. We need they they want to make the American people poor again, where well, we have to wait in line for, for, for fuel and gasoline and say, oh, we're going to do you a favor. We're going to make the other, the car companies make electric
6: cars. And electricity is powered by natural,
0: natural gas, gas mostly. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, crazy. Uh, You're right. Uh, you, no one's better on the issues than you, Nicole. I've got to say, well, uh, you well, always have been.
6: What I just want to make is that it's not just the federal policy uh, that the Democrats have pushed that have been anti-American energy. It's also the, the state policies, right? We saw uh, Governor Cuomo shut down Indian Point nuclear power plant. Clean power. Uh, We're seeing, in fact, European countries backtrack on just that right now as they are becoming more and more reliant upon their adversaries and they want to be independent again. And we also saw, um, you know, the the state stop the expansion of gas plants here in New York State. And so uh, these are concerns.
1: It's a problem. We
6: can't shut down these plants. We'll
1: talk Uh, more. Enjoy Nicole Mayatakis, you won by a big margin. Enjoy the weekend. Did you eat dark meat or, or white meat on turkey?
6: No, I, I'm a white meat and yams person. Um, I had a great no. Thanksgiving Oh, Thanksgiving. oh you love know the, the yams. love the yams, yams with marshmallows yams, on top. Yams and yeah. sweet
4: potatoes? Sweet potatoes,
6: yams that's and sweet it. Sweet potatoes. And wait, but before you let me go, I got to thank Ed Cox because he did an amazing thing with John Faso fighting to preserve fair maps in the state of New York. Now, we want
1: to talk about next week. you we are
6: getting 11 people representing New York on, from the Republican side.
1: Well, what we're going to talk about next week, Nicole, do your homework on it. Are they going to appoint a new judge in Albany and try to reverse that out? And have a great weekend. That we'll is talk right. again next week. With us today is Dick Morris, and he's always, always coming up with great ideas about what's going on in America he was an advisor to President Clinton. He was an advisor to still is an advisor to President Trump. And Dick Morris, how did have you come up with an analysis? Of what the heck happened uh, uh, in in the elections?
7: Inflation, which everybody said was by far the major issue, and when you asked them what's the major issue, they all said inflation, had such little impact on the election, and uh, compared to issues like abortion and. Other things. So I did a study. I asked the first study to be done by a group called Americans for Limited Government, headed by two great people, Rich Manning and Rick Romano. And I asked them what percent of the American people are protected against inflation because of cost of living adjustments and indexing in their benefits and in their paychecks. And they did the math. They sent it to me, and I published it on Newsmax. Um, Thirty-seven percent of Americans are basically immune from inflation. About half of those are elderly who get their paycheck, get their money from Social Security, and at the end of the year get an increased benefit based on how inflation has affected their prices. Another group of people on food stamps, disability other federal benefit programs, and then there are those who are working in the private sector for employers who index their wages and they automatically go up for inflation. So the question I'm left with is why? how do the Democrats feel that they can sustain just constantly spending vast amounts of money, racking up the debt, racking up the deficit without kindling an unbelievable inflation? the answer came back, they don't care. Their core constituency, the people who vote for them, are protected against inflation. Their food stamp check goes up, their disability check goes up, their social security check goes up, in ratio to inflation. It's the other two thirds of us who are screwed by inflation because we have no protection. So in effect, the Democrats have a, have a game going where they can Spend as much as they like, give as much as they like to their constituency groups, protect them against the inflation that their spending is causing, and get away with. It. And uh, it really is is an important insight, I think, into how the Democrats can put up with this horrible inflation that they've caused.
1: Understood, and and I some friend of mine named Dick Morris too. Uh, I think he said to me that. Uh, uh, only uh, you have 330 million Americans, only 1% uh, watch Fox, half a percent watch uh, MSNBC and, and CNN put together. So no. very few no, people, very few people understand uh, what's going on in politics other no. than uh, the people that watch.
7: Those who vote in elections, you have about 35% that watch Fox pretty much every night. And you have about, that watch Newsmax pretty much every night, and then the CNN and MSNBC combined have about 30%. You get about 60% that watch some news channel pretty much every night. So it's a well-informed electorate. The problem is the news channels don't cover this. To get this data, the Americans for Limited Government have to dig like crazy and check with every expert they could find. and. Develop this, this basic statistic, which is that if Americans don't pay inflation.
1: Well, I think your numbers are a little bit high. I, I you know, there's 330 million Amer- Americans, and four million pe, and only four million people at the most watch Fox, and only a half a million people at the most watch Newsmax. So, well, right, I mean, those right. numbers are when you compare them to that's 330 right. million, it's a very small percentage.
7: Well, 230 million includes kids and stuff. It's about 250 million adults. Yes. And many of those are non-voters who just don't participate. And uh, and then you're talking about half a million or a million at any given time Uh, over the course of the night or over the course of the week, they get a much larger audience.
1: What else would you like to tell American people? You're on. I'm going to be listening to you at uh, Sunday at noontime on WABCradio.com, 770 in the local dial. What else are you going to talk about?
7: I'm going to explain the Democratic strategy for for keeping power. One part of it is what I just said about inflation. A second part of it is to keep Americans unmarried. When people marry, they become much more likely to be Republican. The Democrats... Work on discouraging marriage, and through their allies in the, in the entertainment media, stressing living together, checking up, um, uh, being separate, marrying late, and uh, and they discourage people from getting married. Uh, there are key key elements in the constituency. Uh, about eight million more Americans. The third thing I'm going to talk about is that. The Democrats work very hard at making sure that more and more people leave the labor force. They want as few workers as possible. So the percentage of people who are in the labor force dropped from 67 million in 2000 to 67% in 2000 to 62% now. And that 5% drop represents about 8 million people that used to be in the labor force, working or not but who paid attention to the economy. And that's 8 million people who are increasingly likely to vote Democrat, the number of people who are unmarried, the number of people who are on disability, the number that are immune from inflation because of cost of living. You begin to see the outlines of how the Democrats plan to take and keep power.
1: Dick Morris, I'll be listening to you at noontime today, this Sunday, and God bless you and God bless America.
7: Thank you. Bless you and happy Thanksgiving.
1: Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. Thank you for being with us for the Round Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes.